Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Appalachian Agorist Podcast. I'm your host, Cody, and I got my my favorite co-host with me, Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Oh, man, another beautiful weekend morning. It's like 60 degrees here. Chickens are out in the, uh, in the woods scratching. I got a uh, Premier One fence up. Um, just got it and like, I'm sold on it, man. It's just a portable electric fence and I can rotate them through the woods and it's cut down significantly on like their feed and now they're out foraging for their own food. So I can't complain. Things have been pretty awesome. So So what are we going to be talking about today? Today we are talking about, mm -hmm, talking about a lot, but it's all centered around food. And that sounds crazy. And I know we've talked about gardening. We've talked about um, livestock and animal husbandry and whatnot. But this is a totally different look on food. Um, It's something I just recently within the last probably six weeks have gotten into. But it's become something I'm super passionate about. I've gone off the deep end, just dove in head first, and here we are. And, man, while I was like, you know, I wouldn't say it was like research, but it wasn't research. It was just kind of like me enjoying the topic and learning more about it because I'm really into it. But while I was like going about this process, it just, I thought I was radical before, right? Like I thought I was as radical as Mm -hmm. radical could be. Like there is nothing that could make me (laughs) hate bureaucracy and the the government and uh, overseeing agencies more than I already did. And I was totally, totally wrong. I've never been so angry about something and so passionate about something in my life. And I, as soon as I like started getting into it, I was like, I, we have to do an episode on this. Like, there is no question. This has to get out because I feel like it's not being covered. No one's talking about this. And it's super important. It's literally what you're putting in your body. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel you. I literally was like, I was sitting on the fucking toilet reading the notes for this episode. I came out of the bathroom just pissed. My girlfriend was like, "What's wrong with you?" And I was like, "I'm just, I just fucking hate the government." <laughs> Cody pissed ridiculous. me off again. Yeah, what else? What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're back. Another AA meeting, delivering another dose of your red pill. So. Get ready, because here it comes. But uh, before we get too into it, you know, I do want to say there is some information you kind of have to know before we start diving into the weeds. And, like, it's pretty simple. Most people probably already know this. But, like, 
in the United States, there's essentially two forms of food production. You got the industrial commercial system and the local system. So your industrial system is the factory farms um, that you see when you watch like uh, PETA videos and the animal rights activist groups. And it's like very confined uh, living quarters. It's very unsanitary. It's all about bigger, faster, cheaper uh, food. And that is their goal. Just make as much money as possible, make as much food as possible, and make it as fast as possible. And the big companies in charge heavily influence policy, like legislative policy. So the interest of the big food and the government are aligned and therefore the cost of food is kept artificially low with government subsidies to farmers to grow specific things like corn and soybeans. Um, specifically corn and soybeans because it can be processed into so many different products and reused for livestock feed. Um, I have my own little conspiracy about that, but we can get into that later if we want. On the other side, you got the local system, um, which is not always like this, but in some cases is much smaller, much more sustainable, um, and a much cleaner product, more expensive product. There's less of the product, but it's also a cleaner product for everything from the raising of the animals to the, the slaughtering and butchering, um, packaging of the animals. It's across the board has the opportunity to be much cleaner. The problem with the local system is when we talk about policy, if, you know, Rob is running his, uh, his hog business and there's all this paperwork that Rob has to do, Rob is one employee. Now, if Tyson is running a business, they have somebody on payroll to specifically only do paperwork. So you as the small farmer don't have enough time or the enough manpower to do the system of growing that you want to do along with the paperwork required by the government. Um, and the catch 22 is if you don't do the paperwork, you can't even farm like you can't, um, there are some way around it, but you know, for the most part, they make it damn near impossible for, for the little guy to compete with, Tyson and Cargill and all these other big companies. And yeah. to, to combat that, like people try to write legislation, but legislation is, is not this blanket thing. It's not going to apply to you the same way it applies to Tyson. It's totally different. You know, um, for example, to be USDA qualified to package, you have to have American Disability Act ramps, uh, changing rooms, bathrooms, um, all these square footage requirements, uh, stainless steel requirements, uh, the amount of lumens produced by your lights uh, uh, that you're operating under, all these requirements. And you could just be under a, a pole barn in the open air and have like one little stainless steel tub and a table and produce just as clean a food, but because you don't have handicap ramps, a changing room for both sexes, uh, you don't have power, you don't have lights because you do it in the sunshine, which, by the way, is one of nature's biggest uh, anti, or like, uh, it's one of nature's 
most efficient way to fight disease and bacteria is sunshine. So despite all this, you still can't operate. And it's, it's total bullshit. Yeah. And if, if you notice, like the, the alignment, the aligned interest in the legislation applies really to any sector, you know, that exists currently. It's, and it may be even more so in, in, as far as, you know, growing food, how, you know, it, it affects maybe unintentionally, but, but intentionally as well affects the smaller guy way more than the large business. Yes, it's annoying for the Tysons and all them. They have to f- jump through hoops. But at the end of the day, you know, they, they pay a bunch of people uh, a, a medium salary to, to jump the hoops and business goes on. Whereas, like you said, the, you know, the local system, you know, you can't do all that shit and do your job. It's just not possible. No. And like, I'm, they, the big business will lobby on Capitol Hill for the policy changes they want. And some people be like, oh, well, you know, I don't think it's that bad. It is that bad. It's worse. And I'm going to fucking prove it to you. Like, it is got, it is, it runs so deep. It's, it's, it's absolutely atrocious. Um, the reason this all matters, though, is like it all comes down to a basic right to put the food or not even the food, the items that you want in your body. You have a right to ingest whatever you want. Raw milk, wired mus- uh, wild mushrooms, um, you can uninspected beef, unrefrigerated eggs, brown eggs, white eggs, spotted eggs, quail eggs, uh, homemade jam, whatever. You have the right to do that. Um, the, De- the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services disagrees. Um, <laughs> they actually released an official statement that said, essentially, actually, let me, let me quote it. All right. So they said, quote, for individuals to make a choice implies they have some basic knowledge on which to base a decision. In other words, they're saying you lack the basic understanding possessed by a monkey. Like even with government provided education, the food pyramids that they release and approved school lunches and all the all the aspects that they have their hand in, you still don't understand which what you can put in your body. They don't think you believe or they don't think you know what is edible and what is unedible. And that is absolutely ridiculous to me. Like, well, insane. Yeah. The thing is, it's not even, you know, they say that it implies we have basic knowledge, but that's not even the case. Like, there's, you know, just like anything that with research and development, there's tons of ways, there's tons of, of you know, methods that, you know, are right or wrong, depending on, you know, what you believe and, and the research you've done. And they're not even saying that, you know, you really lack the knowledge. It's that the knowledge isn't the one that they want you to have. Like, if you don't agree with it, then you don't, then you lack knowledge. Like, it's a blanket statement. And that's, that's not the case at all. It's, it's, God, that's just frustrating. Yeah. And I mean, it's essentially them saying, uh, not that we've ever heard this before, but that their science is the proper science and anyone who disagrees is wrong. Despite the fact that many times big ag will, uh, big agriculture, uh, big ag will deduce the conclusion they want in their studies and then forge the study to prove what they want. They will skew the study purposely openly 
and document it to, to, to push the market and push consumers into what they want. It's absolutely insane. It's, it's crazy to me. Um, yeah. You know, the USDA... They basically required, reversed the scientific method. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The scientific method that they teach you, like, when you get into enough money and you're high enough in the, uh, in the you know, capital, we'll call it capitalist, even though it's totally fascist society. Um, it, yeah, I know. Very loose wording there. But once you get high enough in the, in the structure, then you can just reverse that and flip it to be whatever you want it to be. And like the USDA requires um, all eggs that you buy in the grocery store to be washed. Uh, when you get eggs from the chicken, though, they're naturally coated by the hen in a, in a mucus material. And that material keeps bacteria out of the shell because eggshells are actually permeable. Um, things can travel inside the egg through the shell. They're not like a, uh, an impermeable object. And ironically, in France, all eggs that you can buy are not washed, period. It's illegal to wash eggs in France because they are naturally... Uh, resistance, resistant to bacteria. And the reason we do this is because our eggs are coming from God knows where. Like, you can have an egg that is, I don't know, we'll just pick uh, Georgia. So the egg comes from Georgia, but then travels to, you know, Texas to uh, be cleaned and washed and then it travels to Virginia to be packaged, only to be sold in California. And you've got eggs that have traveled further than the people that are buying them. Like, most people haven't been across the country. The average American has been to 12 states, and our food travels 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles just to get to the grocery store. It's insane. And this could all be solved off of a local system. Um, buying eggs from somebody that you trust, where the, U the USDA may not inspect it, but you can go and inspect it. You can see the living conditions of the hens. And if you see hens with their beaks chopped off and, you know, standing in their own filth, standing on other chicken carcasses, eating uh, God knows what, are you going to buy? Absolutely not. You're not going to buy that. That's insanity. Like you're going to go to the farm where they like live in grass and it's like, you know, angels singing in the background as you, as you watch the sunrise. Like this is just common sense. It's absolutely insane. Um, but yeah. And then the other thing is people think they can get around it with this organic label. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I buy, I buy organic eggs, and I buy only organic. I buy the best. No, you don't. But, <laughs> and this is why, like, the whole organic term is so misconstrued. There's no determination on what organic actually is. There's no, um, like, what is it grown in? Okay, so you didn't add chemicals or whatnot, but it could be compost from your farm. It could be uh, material that you got from the industrial system that you composted in confinement systems. It could be aquaponics with nutrients added artificially in the water. Uh, but what's in the water? Weeds could be pulled by hand or with a tractor implement, or you could burn them out, or you could use herbicides. Like, there's so much unclear in the organic market that it's really still hard to tell 
And many of the organic animal products that we're buying, such as meat, it's still a factory industrialized version. It's just spread out living quarters. Uh, it is a cleaner product, but they're still surrounded by concrete. They're still um, only getting you know, half of the sunshine that they would normally get or want. Um, it, it's a very interesting paradigm. I think it's a step in the right direction. And if you can do that and that's all you can do, I mean, hey, it's better than, you know, the, the alternative, I guess. Um, but yeah, you know, the USDA regulates all of this and it's just all total bullshit. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the first thing I, I was thinking with, with the organic, it's, it's just what you mentioned, like all of the, the little ways that it could be one way or, or, or another small way that makes it not organic versus organic. It makes me think of all the, like the, the gun regulations and how like if it's this way, it's a rifle. If it's this way, it's, you know, no, or, it's a, or the brace, you know, the whole brace conversation. It's like, oh, this is a brace, but, like, because of this, it's not. It's it's any any government, like, I don't know, I'm not called mandate, but I guess, like, when they try to, like, I guess government regulation, it's, it's so, like, it's, it's so gray that there's never actually an answer. So that, you know, organic, I, I've never even really understood it. I guess it's really just, a way to make more money by uh, doing a couple things different and, and charging more. But like, like you, like you say, the, the question is perfect. Like what is organic and no one can define it. What is a, an assault rifle? You can't define it. Yeah. Like is organic, um, is organic compost compost that comes from your property? Like what's the history of your soil? How long? And you know, there are certain things USDA recognizes as organic for like organic dairies. You have to be pesticide herbicide uh, and antibiotic free for like five years, I think. Uh, okay. So that's a standard, but still what's in your soil. Like you may not be using herbicides and pesticides, but if you're buying all the leftover bedding from Tyson and Cargill and all these other companies like Smithfield, all the big pack, like the big names, um, and you're composting that, it's like, okay, you're making compost, but you're still doing it out of uh, a industrial product. And in that is still feces, decomposed pigs, like antibiotic uh, remnants and yeah, it's just this whole thing. And the USDA, USDA, like a lot of people, the food police, they, they don't think it's anything crazy, but I'm telling you, they are not to be taken lightly. Like they, um, they raided a sheep farm up in Vermont. Uh, I want to say it was in the early two thousands, but essentially this small time farm operation brought over sheep legally imported them from Europe from their farm and they were uh, producing products using sheep and I believe goats. And essentially, long story short, the USDA spent over a million dollars in covert surveillance, raided this farm Waco style with like 40 something agents, um, raided their house, forced them out, confiscated their farming equipment, uh, confiscated their hay, confiscated their livestock. And this was all in the name of mad cow disease. Mad cow disease, but confiscating sheep. And so what, what people don't understand is that sheep don't get mad cow disease. They don't. 
and so this family paid to get all their uh, sheep tested, and the USDA apparently did their own independent test, and uh, the family's test came back negative. The USDA test uh, never came back at this time, at least, and then the USDA began taking their seized hay to the local landfill and dumping it. And the family was kind of suspicious, like, how is this about safety, but we're putting it in the landfill? <sighs> Come to find out, the USDA had the test results. They also came back negative, but they euthanized like 50 of their sheep, like almost their entire stock. They euthanized all of it, shipped them to Kansas and killed them um, for no reason. And the, the scapegoat was mad cow disease. And it's, it's insane. And the lady that was in charge of the vest investigation for the USDA was found to be lying under oath. And afterwards, she was just removed from her position. And now she probably works for Monsanto or Tyson's or some bullshit. Like, you know, it's, it's not about safety. And I can prove it. And this is how I justify it. And this is how I'm going to prove it. I can raise a hog. We'll just say a hog. Um, it could be any animal, um, but we'll go with a hog. So I raise a hog, three hogs, doesn't matter. I have extra. I can give it to you. I can give it to anyone. I can feed it to my children. I can host barbecues and have everyone come over. We'll cook out, eat that hog. Um, I can trade the hog. I can sell the hog live for you to butcher. But the moment I kill the animal, and try to sell it to you, it's illegal. It's not about safety. It's about controlling the market. It's about not letting the truth get out that these local small-time farmers are producing better products, safer, and more ecologically sound than big ag. That's what it's about. It has nothing to do with safety. And if this sounds familiar, it might be because we just spent the last 24 months going through the same bullshit, or 18 months. It's not about safety. It's about control, just like everything. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is, like, with the USDA, like, um, you really don't have the same Fourth Amendment rights you would think you have as a farm, because... U.S. Uh, I'm sorry, USDA. Fourth Amendment rights. If uh, just a quick background, that's the search and seizure. Uh, Fourth Amendment protects you against uh, search and seizure, but um, you don't have the same rights because you're a company. The moment you start selling something, you're a company. So um, they actually have like open field policies where essentially, if you can see the field, that's not covered under the Fourth Amendment. So uh, in the past, the, e the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, has jumped fence, uh, walked around locked gates, gone around uninvited without a warrant to collect soil samples. Um, luckily, that was ruled unconstitutional by uh, the Virginia Circuit Court. But it, it's just there are other instances where govern governing agencies will collaborate to get around it. So... You know, just because you're covered for there uh, by USDA or whatever, um, FDA, doesn't mean another uh, government bureaucracy can't come in. And that's actually happened. Um, you know, I can't remember exactly where it was, but uh, there was a company, 
a small, small farm that was employing immigrants and they used the uh, labor department of that jurisdiction to get in without a warrant because the labor department can go in and inspect uh, worker conditions unannounced without a warrant. And then while in there, they can use that to essentially get whatever information the other agencies need. It's, it's insane, man. It's like, (sighs) yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. You may be hearing more about the labor department here in the future too. Oh, all all this COVID shit and mandating the vaccines. Yep. Yeah. uh, Planning on using an, an emergency rule. And this is under the, the, uh, Department of Labor that basically they can mandate this through. It's kind of like um, what do they call it in the beginning? Of the what did the what did the FDA call their exemption? Like an emergency, emergency use authorization. Yes, it's basically that they're going to use the Department of Labor version of that to make this, any business with more than a hundred employees either get vaccinated completely or submit to weekly testing. So just another way they're going to use a, you know, a different department to, to force the agenda. Yeah. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. Like it may seem new and this is probably the largest scale that we've seen it on at least that has been covered, you know, that is being pushed by the media day in and day out, COVID, COVID, Delta, Ligma, Alpha, Zulu, whatever, you know, it's definitely being pushed hard, but this is the same shit that's been going on for decades. This has been going on a very long time in every aspect of your life. You probably just haven't realized it. Um, you know, we were talking. We were talking about the USDA and you know that sheep farm with the mad cow disease. The interesting thing is, do you do you know where mad cow came from? I do not. I don't even really know what it what it is. It's bovine sponge form, something or another. Um, essentially, it. Uh, let's talk about the cow for a second. A cow is a is an herbivore. It's designed to eat plants. That's it. It's not an omnivore. It's a grazing animal designed to eat grass. <laughs> That's its job. Eat grass, fertilize the ground on the back end. That's all it does. Um, the USDA found out that... So here's the thing. When we started to industrialize food, um, we had one species. It was a very monoculture um, a monotype culture in the industrial food environment. And so we had chickens and we had all these chicken houses, hundreds, thousands of chickens in these chicken houses. Um, Not all at once, but, you know, over several, there are thousands, tens of thousands in each of these things, very tight living quarters. Um, And the thing about chickens is their manure is super, super hot like a lot of nitrogen and you got to dump a lot of bedding on it because bedding is carbonous. And so after the chicken slaughter, um, essentially we ran into this issue of what do we do with all this chicken manure? Like, what do we do with it? What do we do with the carcasses that of those that died? What do we do with the manure? And so the USDA found out that if you, you can put up to 50% of, uh, 
cow carcass, chicken carcass, and chicken manure into cow feed. And if you dump enough artificial sweetener or molasses on it, the cows will eat it. So now we have cows eating the carcasses of chickens and other cows, uh, cannibalistic lifestyle. And that is actually what developed mad cow disease. Um, well, that helped develop mad cow disease. Uh, and the reason that's so ironic is the USDA is the one who fucking did it. They are the reason we have it. So they all these meat recalls about mad cow disease is because the USDA was trying to get around nature's laws. Nature has laws that need to be followed. It's that way for a reason. Cows eat grass. That's it. Well, it's essentially, you know, the same organization and the group of people that are, that are telling you how to eat created mad cow disease, and, and they, like, they slaughter sheep in the name of mad cow disease, and they totally swept it underneath the rug that they did it. But, you know, what would you rather eat? Would you rather eat the cow under their system or the cow in a rotationally grazed local farmer, you know, that eats grass? until winter <laughs> yeah know. so basically another problem manufactured by a stupid fucking rule to to or uh well quote-unquote solution to fix a problem that wasn't even a problem in the first place so just oh. manufacture problems that create more and more and more problems down the road it's so yeah. stupid dude they've created every problem that they've fixed that they quote unquote find the solution to like, do you know why chickens need antibiotics and all these livestock need antibiotics? It's, it's, it's because either you're, you're, you're taking a culture, a monotype culture and shoving one species into a tight area in, on a piece of land that isn't uh, meant to have that many animals on it. So we'll, we'll go with chickens, chickens, uh, they, they cut off their beaks so that they're not pecking at the other chickens. Um, but because the living conditions are so tight, they're standing in their own manure and that releases, uh, fecal par particulates that s cause small lacerations to their respiratory system. So while they cut off the beak, along with all the natural filters that are in the beak while the chicken breathes, the chicken is now getting fecal particulates directly into the bloodstream, and that leads to bacterial infection. So they have to use antibiotics. The problem with antibiotics is that it's just like any other bacterial resistance that can develop. It's you kill all the small bacteria that are that are harmful, but essentially you're leaving these massive, hugely problematic bacterial infections like E. coli. Like that is where all this E. coli comes from. They're killing all the good bacteria and the minorly bad bacteria, and it's just leaving room for these very, very dangerous ones to grow even further. So it's yeah. like and they cause the, the problem. You don't have the knowledge. Yeah. Mm hmm Yep. So, Insane. yeah. And, you know, the same thing happened with raw milk. Um, back in 1900, like, uh, <laughs> back in 1900, so if we take a step back to the Industrial Revolution, um, we have the beginning of mechanized production. Um, and we have that being applied to, 
other aspects besides like the things we think of like cars and tractors and um, you know, pick anything. It was beginning to be applied to food and drinks and you, you had this uh, huge increase of distilleries uh, on the outskirts of towns and cities. And when those distilleries started popping up, farmers got the idea to buy their spent grain because the distilleries needed to get rid of the, the grain um, and the farmers needed it, they thought, for their, for their cows. And so these farmers start buying all this, uh, this used and spent grain, and it led to uh, 25% of all foodborne Ill- illnesses coming from milk. And, you know, no one could figure out why, no one knew why. And so that's where we got the pasteurization process. And pasteurization is essentially a process that's like 160, 180 degrees uh, exposure to milk that kills all bacteria. Sounds great. The problem is it kills all bacteria, not just bad bacteria, good bacteria, bacteria that can be beneficial to us to help grow our immune system. And even the slightly bad bacteria does build our, our immune system because chronic exposure strengthens, you know, like we've come to a society where we're so afraid of uh, contamination and bacteria that... Yeah, then you, you came back in. Okay, so essentially we've established a society where uh, we've established this society where we're so afraid of all bacteria that we've weakened our immune systems. And um, sorry, we got cut off. I lost my train of thought. But essentially that's what led to the destruction of raw milk and the illegalization of raw milk. Um, whereas if we just kept cows as cows and let them eat natural occurring grass, we wouldn't have to worry about this. We would be exposed to some bad bacteria, but it would be to build our, our immune system. And so now, um, now we uh, have pasteurization and raw milk is illegal in most states. And uh, to me, it's no different than buying raw meat. You buy raw meat with the expectation that you can do what you want with it. You can eat it raw, whether that's advised or not, or you can cook it. And like milk should be no different. Like there's no reason to not have raw milk for sale. So. Yeah. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And you know, we, we've uh, seen these E. coli outbreaks with milk, raw milk specifically um, before. And if we just like game theory, this a little bit, if you buy a gallon of milk from the store um, and you get sick from E. coli, where, where did it come from? Where did the milk come from? You, you, you have no idea. It could be anywhere. Yeah. Versus right. if you buy your milk from your neighbor and you get sick, you go, hey, neighbor, your milk got me sick. And then we can address the issues there versus having to recall millions of gallons of milk because we don't know where it came from. Because all the milk gets shipped to a co-op. They're in a co-op, and it gets packaged and pasteurized and uh, homogenized and everything else in one big batch. And it's hard to tell. 
it's, it's, it's almost impossible. You, you can't tell. So essentially the more we yep. fight Another in nature, reason for small farming. And- yeah. You got to obey the laws of nature. Like the moment we try to industrialize a natural process, we're just getting more and more problems. So, and you know, it's just, it's nonstop, man. Uh, specifically in Virginia, I just, when I switched careers, um, I thought I would be totally out of government. I thought there would be no way that I would be involved with government doing farm fencing. And I was talking to my boss and he was like, yeah, this is a CREP project. I was like, CREP? And he's like, yeah, it's the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. And I was like, that just screams bureaucracy. It just, (laughs) like, I've never heard a more bureaucratic name in my life, Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. And someone got a raise for that. And uh, when I was talking to him, essentially, he was saying, uh, you know, there was an issue that farmers were raising cattle, specifically in Virginia, and their manure was polluting the watershed that led to the Chesapeake Bay, which led to uh, the death of fish. And to fix this, the government decided it would pay farmers to fence out their natural water waterways and then compensate them for the loss of the land, uh, compensate them for the establishment of the fence uh, and the establishment of a watering system. So uh, essentially this giant tub that is connected by a pipe and fed off of a well most of the time. Um, A good idea in theory, but no good deed goes unpunished. So all this did was make it worse because they moved the the congregation of cattle from the natural waterways to an artificial waterer and the water the area of the water waterer becomes decimated um, because they're all around that water source all the time. So the government stepped in again, mandating concrete around the waterer, and that led to manure sitting on the concrete instead of in the field, which led to a manure lagoon, which is just a big tub to hold water and manure so the farmer can spread it. The problem is farmers are busy pretty much every season except winter, so they dump it in the winter, when the ground's not permeable enough to take a huge concentration of manure all at one time. So all it does is run right back into the waterway every winter. It's, it's the same thing. They do this. It's the same thing, except now we have millions of dollars subsidizing farmers to build fences. And all this could be solved Oh, well, and then to perpetuate it even worse, the cows stand on concrete all day and have joint issues, and that leads to subsidized waterbeds for cattle. It's just this, this whole problem, and it's just all this could have been solved with rotational grazing in a pond, a gravity-fed pond to fill their waterer, and then every day you just shut it off, drain it, and move it. But no, millions of dollars. This just makes me want to drive my head through a wall. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? No, I'm in the oh. same exact boat, man. It's so frustrating because these are the same people that gave you the food pyramid. 
and they say, oh, you need to eat grains. You need to eat grains. Well, the reason you need to eat grains is because they're subsidizing grains and they're subsidizing corn and they're subsidizing soy all used to make grain products. And it's just, you know, chips and uh, crackers and all sorts of stuff, soda. And I mean, I'll get into that here in a little bit, I'm sure, but it's just these, uh, these industrial CAFOs or, you know, the confined animal factory operations, like they're just large warehouses that have way too many animals and it's leading to an unsafe product, despite the fact that they're telling you it's safe. Um, you know, 50 years ago, uh, the top five meat packaging companies comprised of 25% of the market. And today the top four make up over 80% of the market. They're raising chickens in half the time, but doubling their size. They're genetically modifying them to focus growth on the breast because of the popularity of chicken breast. You know, chickens are now slaughtered at uh, eight weeks, uh, weighing five pounds with their bones so frail they can't even stand up. Uh, The farmers that contribute to this system uh, have to take a loan out to build factory houses that meet the heating requirements, the fan requirements, the feed requirements, and it's all designed to put the farmer in debt and keep them under the thumb of Big Ag at Big Ag while producing chicken that is covered in 10% fecal matter soup. So it's just a, it's a despicable system. It's absolutely horrible. It really is. It's just atrocious. Yeah. And, and it's just so that we can get food Anytime we want, it's all about convenience too, because the average American demands a product year round. That's fighting nature. We have seasons. We have seasonal change for a reason. And the food travels more than, than humans do. There are no seasons in the grocery store. We can get a red tomato in January in uh, freaking Dakota. In North Dakota, you can get a to red tomato the size of a softball in January when it's five degrees outside. That's not natural. They pick them when they're green in some foreign country, ship them across the world, douse them with ethylene gas to make them red and pleasant to look at, and then you eat them. And if you've ever had a homegrown tomato, a store-bought tomato is nothing but a slimy, tasteless goop after you've had homegrown tomatoes. Like, it's horrible. It really is. I mean, you, like, you've grown tomatoes. You know. Yeah, man. Like, I didn't. I never really knew until I, I grew my own and, and ate them. And it's just like, it has a taste, you know? Like, it's not just a big water-filled, like, plump ball. It's actually, like, you can taste <laughs> the difference. This is crazy. Yeah. Man. And, you know, it's the same for meat, too. By the time, like I said, you raise the bird, transport it for slaughter, process it, package it, distribute it sale like you've moved across the united states once twice who knows um and it all comes back to corn and soy too it's like i said i'll get into it now it's highly subsidized by the government because corn and soy can be produced into various products that most of us don't realize they're used in while keeping the price artificially low um, you know, it's used in corns made for high fructose corn syrup, ketchup, cheese, peanut butter, syrup, juice, Motrin, diapers, Kool-Aid, uh, maltodextrins made with corn. Um, 
they're even feeding corn to fish now. Like we're just trying to industrialize everything to make it bigger, faster, stronger, or bigger, faster, cheaper. Like that's just the American way now. And it's leading to a huge amount of health issues. Like the E. coli outbreaks a while ago with spinach, it's because we ship food all over the place and we have a monoculture. There's a, there's only 13 slaughterhouses in the United States. So that, that leads to two possibilities, either 13 slaughterhouses service the entire country, or we're bringing in foreign meats on top of those 13 slaughterhouses. Oh my God. There is no other option. So that leaves us with what I call the transcontinental traveling beef. You know, we've got, we've got steak, New York strips that come from freaking continents away. And most Americans only been to 12 States. So. Wow. That even seems high to be honest with you. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, Unless you live on the East coast. Yeah. But. You know, and then on the flip side, people complain about food being so expensive. Um, you know, why is it so expensive? And it's why is why is the local farmer charging uh, fifteen dollars a pound for pork chops versus you know uh, I don't even know what a pork chop costs. Probably six bucks a pound at the grocery store, maybe maybe five. I don't know four. Yeah, I have no idea. Also. Significantly less. Um, and the reason, as we've covered, is government subsidization. Like, they subsidized uh, corn and soy to feed to hogs, and that is why it's so cheap. It's actually interesting. America pays less for food than any other country to the point where Mexican farmers buy our corn because it's so cheap. They can't even get corn in Mexico down the street cheaper than they can get it from the United States, from Kansas, shipped across state and country borders. That's how heavily subsidized this market is. Um, you know, but the government doesn't subsidize local regenerative farming because they don't fill the uh, campaign budgets of politicians or they don't lobby on the Hill. Um, if if food wasn't subsidized, it would be extremely expensive. You couldn't buy a Big Mac or, I don't know, a double cheeseburger for a dollar at McDonald's if it wasn't subsidized. They want you fat, happy, and subservient. So that way you play into their, their health care system, and they feed each other. Um, that's just my little conspiracy, but, you know, I think there's truth in it. They, they design a, a food pyramid and subsidize all the things that they want to that in in excess are very unhealthy and it promotes um, the economy of the health system. And it's, it's absolutely horrible. Um, Despite the fact that, you know, local food is a superior product in taste in appeal in color. You can look at food like eggs are a great example of this. You buy an egg from a store. It's, it's very runny. It's pale in color. Um, uh, it's been bleached with chlorine and all this other stuff. And you can go out and buy fresh eggs from someone that has chickens, not even a farmer, just somebody that 
doesn't even rotate them on pasture, just somebody that feeds them a decent feed and keeps their, uh, keeps their living area full of carbon so they're not walking around in their own manure. And it's, much, it's a much more vibrant yoke. And the, uh, the clear part that we're accustomed to seeing is not as runny. It's much more uh, held, it's held together much more than a store-bought egg. Um, and that's why food is so expensive when you buy it locally. It's, it's the cost of real food that you're paying, like the rest of the world has to pay. It's not this artificially cheap junk that the government is providing you. It's a superior product. So, you know, when you buy local, I mean, yeah, the price, go ahead. I was just—I was just gonna say, like the the price, it, like that may kind of like shock people that of how expensive it would be. But there's a whole another issue related to you know diet, especially in America. It's just you know it doesn't the amount we spend on food, like it, we don't really need that much. We have we eat way more than we need to, way more than any other place in the world. Um, so it might be more expensive, but it's better for you. And if you you know, we had more people following a proper diet, not the fucking food pyramid, an actual diet, you know, it wouldn't be nearly as expensive, even though you're paying more per product. Yeah. And I know people are going to doubt this, but, you know, one of the most common, like, sense examples I can think of is what's one of the first adjectives used to describe a guy that works on a farm, grew up on a farm and is like stout, just a big dude. People say he's corn fed. Just like our cattle, their corn and grain finish to fatten them up. It makes you bigger. Like it's the same thing. It's no different. (laughs) Like, That right there tells you that even people with, like, no knowledge of the system at least understand that that diet makes you big. Maybe not always in the best way, but... So, but yeah, that's why local food is so expensive. It's a, it's a local farmer asking you to pay a fair wage for his work for a product that is superior in taste, superior in, superior in nutrients, and ultimately leads to less health complications, less doctor visits, less hospital bills. So in the long run, you're probably saving money. That's why it's so expensive. And because it's worth it, they deserve a living wage for doing what they do. Sure. I can already just feel I'm getting fired up, man. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating, man. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm a big proponent of the grass and pa- uh, pasture based, not pasteurized like milk, but the grass and pasture uh, raised food. Uh, it's an alternative to feeding corn. And, you know, you think about corn, this, people don't understand how much oil has to do with the price of uh, food and how involved it is. But you think about all these mechanized and industrialized subsidized food like corn. You have to use fuel to uh, prepare the field. Uh, you have to use it to 
spray the field. You have to use it to harvest the product. You have to use it to ship the product. You have to use it uh, in pretty much every aspect of change in that product's life is oil versus a grass and pasture-based system where sun sun fuels grass, grass fuels cow, cows leaves manure, chickens eat bugs and manure, and then soil uses manure to get microbes and nutrients to prepare for another growth. It's all a system. So, you know, like it, if you integrate the system properly, birds were designed, like we look at Africa, the beast of Africa in the plains. You always see birds riding on the grazing animals, right? They're not there just because it's a free ride. They could fly anywhere they want to. They're there because grazing herbivores produce more waste than they intake. So they can eat, I'm just making these numbers up. I don't know the exact numbers. They could eat 25 pounds of, of uh, grass and put 50 pounds of manure on the ground. That's a hell of an ROI when oh, you're yeah. trying to build soil. But what that manure does is it attracts bugs, and the birds want the bugs. It's a natural cleaning system. Even vultures. Vultures clean up the world. It'd be a really nasty world without vultures. So it's a, it's a, it's a whole thing, man. It's, um, it's a whole thing. And it's an interesting system. Uh, you know, it's, I, I can just see it being really easy to like get into this and, and just like dive straight in and get like get the, the ecosystem going and, you really don't need all the shit that they tell you you need. It's, you know, before there was government and these, you know, big ag, like it was done this way. So it still it can still work. Exactly. The world was, uh, a lot of people ask, yeah, this sounds great. This sounds fantastic. I get it. The animals are cleaner. They're happier. It's a better product. It tastes better. It's healthier. It's better all the way around, but it can't feed the world. Bullshit. It can't feed the world under the current way that we allow it to be ran and legislated. If we took away the legislation, there is absolutely no reason. Polyface Farms, a 500-acre farm down in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, produces 18,000 chickens a year, at least. Um, they produce hundreds of hogs. They supply restaurants all the way from Reston. Uh, they supply Chipotle with pork. They supply huge amounts of food on 500 acres. Polyface is feeding a lot of people on 500 acres. You can't tell me the whole world can't be done this way. The whole world can't be fed sustainably off the current system where it's an ecological nightmare. And the goal is to build an ecosystem. So one of the things Polyface does that I'm totally going to steal is um, I talked about birds cleaning up the manure. But in the, in the wintertime, you have to bring the cows in. And what they do is they move them indoors. Uh, I say indoors. It's like a semi-indoors area. Uh, open walls, still get sunshine, all that good stuff. But they use a deep bedding system 
of uh, wood chips, which is carbon. And they have the hay in a suspended feeder on a rope. So they let the cows in and they let the cows eat. As the cows drop manure, they throw on more bedding, more wood chips. That raises the floor, so they have to raise the, the feed, which is why it's suspended. While they're throwing in more bedding, they throw in corn. Over the winter, this corn ferments, and when it's time to return the cows to pasture, they turn them to pasture, and now they've got all this compost, but they, it needs to be stirred. It's just this big bedding of fermented corn and wood chips right now. So they invented this thing or this process called the, uh, the pigorator, the porkerator, something like that. And they turn pigs into the bedding, which now has fermented corn. The pigs, because it's in their nature, root through the bedding to find the, the fermented corn, and they stir it, and it makes a natural compost. Then when the pigs are grown, they either butcher the pigs or move them out to the woods and use all that new compost to feed the fields, to feed the soil. There is no waste. It's a sustainable, awesome. regenerative way of farming that can feed the world. It absolutely can feed the world. Uh, we just have to realize that it can. And we have to allow the young, you know, the average farmer right now is 65, 65 years old, I think, if not older. And old folks... Uh, no offense if you're <laughs> 65, older folks, I'll say that, um, are at the point they're giving their farms away to young people that want to farm because all we're told is farming is a, is a, uh, is a quick way to go broke, you know, and it is if you're going to follow big ag because they want you broke. That's what they want. They want the money. The average farmer right now gets eight cents to the dollars based on food in the grocery store. Eight cents. That's nothing. That's insane, dude. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. I mean, you would have to make... Bad. I don't even know. If you made a million dollars a product... I'm just doing some quick math here. You would have to make a million dollars in product to make $80,000 a year on a farm while maintaining over half a million dollars in debt, which is what the average farmer owes. It's a losing formula. There's no way. And, you know, big ag like Monsanto, I, I mean, I would like to get into Monsanto because they are the most evil company I think I have ever discovered. Um, but basically, yeah. Um, companies like Monsanto want it that way because they want to make their millions, if not billions. I don't even know how much they make. Um, it's just a nightmare. So, so what's up with Monsanto? Um, yeah, so Monsanto is... We're going to fly by the seat of my pants here. So Monsanto is a chemical company originally. Um, they own over 90% of all GMOs in the world. So all genetically modified um, material or seeds, whatever, in the world they own. Uh, they created Agent Orange, Aspartame, 
RBGH. Uh, so chemi- uh, we'll, we'll just break it down. Agent Orange uh, used in Vietnam on the war on their agriculture. It's an herbicide that killed all the agricultural products of North Vietnam. And uh, the problem is it's also incredibly dangerous to people. Um, so a lot of North Vietnamese civilians were hospitalized. Their offspring had uh, very, very horrible, uh, gross, absolutely horrific um, birth defects. Um, just in, horrible. Um, so they invented that. Uh, they invented RBGH, which is bovine growth hormone. It was uh, designed in the 90s, and it was marketed to increase dairy production up to like 20 or 25%. Um, but that was that product, the uh, RBGH, was banned by Canada in 2000 after they tried to bribe Health Canada in 1998. It's been banned in the European Union since the 90s, and like Australia, New Zealand, and a bunch of other countries have completely banned RBGH. Um, the interesting thing about Canada specifically is Canada banned Roundup. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> How could I forget this? Monsanto created Roundup and then created the genetically modified soybean that Roundup does not kill. Then they patented life, uh, believe it or not. You can patent life under the U.S. Supreme Court because the one of the Supreme Court justices worked for Monsanto. He cut his teeth as a lawyer under Monsanto. And then when the case came on whether you can patent life regards to the genetically modified soybean, he ruled that you could, and he convinced the Supreme Court that that was legal. So what that leads to is uh, let's say you grow non-GMO soybeans and I grow GMO soybeans. If one of my seeds blows over into your farm, Monsanto can sue you for patent infringement and they will ruin you. So this is why Monsanto controls over 90% of the soybean market because they... They patented the life. Um, but, uh, you know, back to the growth hormone, uh, bovine growth hormone. I, I don't know if I ever said that. RBGH is uh, bovine growth hormone. Um, Canada banned Roundup. And uh, its main ingredient is glyphosate. Uh, Monsanto attempted and to some extent succeeded in bribing Health Canada officials and also reviewed and altered the studies of Roundup and glyphosate um, on the quote-unquote independent studying bodies. You know, uh, they ran all their publications through Monsanto before they released it. So Monsanto was like, uh, that's not exactly what we're looking for you to say. We've sent our revisions, and, uh, you know, we think you should roll with that. And I mean, you can't make this up. Like, if you want to learn more about this, just look up the Monsanto papers and you will be infuriated. Uh, but, you know, the reason uh, they destroyed it is because it's linked to the development of cancer. And so Canada and all these other countries banned it. The U.S. has not banned it. 
So the, the U.S. is still, it's still legal to use bovine growth hormone in the United States because the pasteurization process, they claim, kills all traces of it. So all the health effects that are caused by it, they say are killed by pasteurization. But all of this could just be avoided if we just did things the way nature intended and let cows eat grass instead of dead chickens and manure. So it's just this whole thing, man. Um, I'm sure it's fine, though. Just keep drinking your milk. Um, you know, the got milk slogan. I wonder who put that on. You know, who's it's, it's just it's infuriating. Uh, but I mean, Monsanto's done so much worse, too. They also invented uh, PCBs, uh, polychlorinated biphenols, biphenols. I can't exactly remember, but. Um, you know, they, that is a, an electrical coolant uh, that was banned back in the late 80s, I think. But before they banned it, um, they found it was a cause to cancer in animals and a carcinogen in humans. They dumped it throughout all, so, all number of states. Like I know Michigan, Illinois, Alabama. Alabama has like people that are still dying of cancer because they put hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds of PCBs in the ground and it infected the water supply. And now these low income, primarily minority communities are being diagnosed with cancer because Monsanto (laughs) essentially gave them cancer. And Monsanto has admittedly and pled guilty to many charges in civil court uh, over PCBs causing cancer. Um, it was just, it's absolutely mind blowing how evil Monsanto is. And when I started looking into it, um, I was like, who owns Monsanto? And so I looked into it and just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, Monsanto is actually owned by Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R, a medical company. A fucking medical company. The company that makes Aleve, uh, Alka-Seltzer, Claritin, Miralax, Talcid, all these minor over-the-counter drugs that are designed to help with uh, indigestion, heartburn, allergies, seasonal allergies, and they're creating the products that cause that. Because natural food, raw milk can actually, it possesses good bacteria that helps prevent allergies it all comes for full circle man i mean this company is truly evil if this doesn't make you furious there's something wrong with you like oh this is like terrible dude i get so fired we do and it's not just the united states monsanto has their has their hand in every form of agriculture around the world even india india is a horrible climate to grow cotton but yet they still produce the like their third in cotton production in the world as far as countries go. So Monsanto uh, made a genetically modified form of cotton, and they advertised that it would lead to yields up to like 500%. The catch is they were charging four times the amount. And, uh, you know, this isn't illegal, but it is evil. It doesn't have to be illegal to be wrong. Um, so I understand like it's a private company, bro. They do what they want, but you know, hear me out. They said it would produce 500%, four or 500%, uh, the normal yield of cotton, 
but in reality, actually only produced 20% more. <laughs> and so they charged four times the cost to these Indian farmers. Dude, it gets way worse. So they charged four times the cost of normal cotton to these Indian farmers who went into debt on their own accord, I understand, and was essentially they went bankrupt. And from 1997 to like, it's like a 20-year period from 97 to 17, I think, over 300,000 Indian farmers committed suicide. And the kicker is most of them did it by drinking Roundup. That's a message. Wow. That is yep. a message. Like, that is horrible. Evil, and, like, man. Monsanto's got their hand in the corn market in Mexico. Like, uh, corn pollinates by wind. It, it pollinates with other corn by wind. And so Monsanto got their, uh, their genetically modified corn into uh, – Mexico, and now it's pretty much diseased, infected, pollinated other corn. And now they have corn that is growing three ears instead of one. It's mutations. It's mutations of biology by moving around parts of DNA in corn. And it's not natural. This isn't how we were supposed to, to live. And it's a total double standard because... Remember how I said if, like, my soybean that's genetically modified went on your property, you would be sued by Monsanto? Mm -hmm. That's a patent infringement. In Mexico, if, Mon if Monsanto infects your corn, you can't hold them liable. Mm. It's a total, total double standard. They can hold you liable for something you can't control a.k.a. the fucking wind, but you can't hold them for liable for infecting your crop. That's crazy. It's, it's a truly evil, evil company. Um, so. Here's an interesting fact. About I, so if you search Monsanto, just Monsanto on Google, the second most asked question is, is Monsanto an evil corporation? Yes. And the answer is like, <laughs> this is quote I mean obviously this is just the, a generic answer from I, don't, I haven't even clicked on the site but it's like basically of all the megacorps you know running amok Monsanto has consistently outperformed its rivals and earned the crown as the most evil corporation on earth dude Monsanto um, what was that guy's name um, Taylor Mike, Michael Taylor um, Michael Taylor uh, was some big wig in the FDA. Like he was like the commissioner or um, something like that, like very, very high elevated status in the FDA. Uh, and you can, you might be able to fact check me on this, but Michael Taylor actually worked for Monsanto before he became uh, head or commissioner or super high up in the FDA. And like the Obama administration comprised of like three Monsanto employees when it came to agriculture and food production. Jesus Christ. It's like, if that's not fascist, nothing is fascist. Like big business and big government in bed together. This is the pinnacle of that big agriculture producing sub quality products that don't keep you healthy while also having their hand in, in 
big pharma while also being subsidized yeah. to produce both the food and the medication. It's, it's, it's total bullshit. Like if this isn't a red pill wake up call, like I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like this is as bad as it gets. It's gotta be. Dude, I, I can't even like, yeah, dude, I, I can't even like, like look this shit up anymore. Cause it just makes me so fucking mad. I, my literally, my only solution is to like, it's basically agorism. Just like kind of fade away, do my own thing. Cause like, no, like just, you could literally go down the street and, and present this to people and they'd be like, ah, you know, that's, you know, that's bullshit or, uh, that's conspiracy. Not, probably not that bad. Like, yeah, you, you just you literally cannot make this shit up. It's terrible. Yeah. It really is. I mean, there there and they'll is never hope, have to answer though. for any of it. No, they'll never answer for any of it, man. Like maybe maybe some of the very minor things, like you know, the cancer and uh the the things that happen yeah. due to pollution, but as far as the big agriculture, um, you know, the soybean and uh excuse me, corn production and whatnot, they won't answer for that. But, I mean, there is hope. Um, nope. You know, you can still get around the system. Um, start looking for your local farmers. Find what find the places that you can get real food. And if they don't let you inspect or visit their farm, you don't need to be buying from them. Real transparency is the best inspection. It's better than the USDA could ever do. It's better than all of that. It's firsthand account from you on what your food looks like from birth to slaughter. Um, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice some things. Like you can't buy chicken breast from your farmer if he's not USDA inspected, but you can buy a chicken you can buy a cow. You can pay for the cow live and pay for the butcher to package it. You can buy raw milk. Uh, if it's not for human consumption, sometimes there's milk shares, uh, herd shares. Um, there's all sorts of things that you can do. If, if this stuff interests you, um, some, some sources you may want to check out, um, Food Inc., a documentary. I think it's, it might still be on YouTube. You may have to stream it on Amazon or something. Uh, the Monsanto papers, um, the world according to Monsanto on YouTube is a good one. Uh, some of the books by Joel Salatin are amazing. I, I, this one, this is probably the best resource I could, uh, throw out there is everything I want to do is illegal by Joel Salatin. You can get it from the Polyface website. Um, all, all of it goes straight to Polyface, who I'm a big supporter of. Um, Joel Salatin is like, like legendary in, in this movement. He's kind of the, the spearhead, if you will, one of them at least. Um, you know, there's a, a series on Netflix called Rotten. Um, specifically, their raw milk episode is really good. Um, there, there's a bunch. If, if you want to know more, um, I'll put some stuff in the show notes. You can reach out to me. Um, we didn't touch half of the stuff that I would like to scream and yell at people about um, just from the rooftops to get, you know, local farmers in everyday life. But 
this goes hand in hand with everything we talk about with local, with local economics and community-based economics. There's no reason for you to buy transcontinental traveling beef when there's a 500 head of cattle farm five miles away. There's no reason. And when it comes to price, you have to understand the price is not high. The grocery store is artificially low. You've already paid for that food. Whether you buy it or not, when you walk past, uh, you know, potato chips and you don't buy them, you already have bought them partially because your tax dollars subsidized the growth of corn, which led to maltodextrose, the development of maltodextrose, which is a food preservative put in pretty much all processed foods. You know, that's why it seems so high. It's not that the price of food is high. That's the price everyone else in the world is paying for food. We're just spoiled because we get robbed on the front end to pay less on the back end. Mm. Another reason taxation is that. Yep. So, but anyway, I won't yell anymore. It's just, it's just mind blowing, man. And I really, there are a few subjects I am so passionate about and I really, really would love to see more people move to the local model. It would really be a step in the right direction to a regenerative, balanced ecological system that is good for the environment, good for the consumer, good for the producer, good for the animal. It's good for the earth. It's good for everybody. Um, And if you can't afford it, maybe it's time to start taking it into your own hands. And uh, I think that's a good note to end on. And we'll talk more about that next week. Yeah, for sure. So um, as always, guys, you can find us on Twitter at app with two P's, APP, Agoris Pod, or Instagram at Appalachian Agoris. As a reminder, October 1st through 3rd, I will be at the Virginia Freedom and Farmsteading Conference um, at CrossFit Stanton, uh, partially or organized by the IKC podcast, Insurgency Knitting Circle. You can find them on Instagram too. I believe tickets are still for sale. I'll be presenting there um, for on Saturday, but I'll be there the whole weekend. And uh, if you come out, I uh, look forward to meeting everybody involved. It's a good community. Um, and I think it would be money well spent just for the knowledge that you're going to attain in, in three days. So, or two and a half days, however long you stay, four days. <laughs> um, but anyway, if you want more information on that, check out the Insurgency, Insurgency Knitting Circle podcast on Instagram. Uh, look for Texas Joe. You can also reach out to me if you can't find it, and I'll put you in touch with them. Uh, is, is there anything else you wanted to add, man? Uh, no, that's good. There's a lot, of, lot to ponder on. Yeah. Like I said, this, does, this doesn't fucking get you riled up, man. It's nothing will. Nope, nothing will. And you guys got a week to digest all this. You can listen to it once, twice, three times. Leave a uh, review on iTunes. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Let's get the message out there. And uh, next week, we'll be uh, focusing more on uh, food production in a different way. So... 
Until next time, guys. But it is the best example of how we've gone too far, you know, with the bison that developed the bread right. basket and living in harmony with Native Americans that didn't try to farm them. Like, that's what led to the development of the bread basket. And then with Iowa losing its 50% uh, of its topsoil in the last half century to a century, it's proof this is not sustainable. Um, corn rips nitrogen yeah. out and to do it you have to you absolutely have to um apply fertilizer there is no other way and it's just it's insane man I, this is the one episode i just really want people to share because it's so it's that important it really is yeah, I uh, I agree hundred percent. So, oh, yeah. Either way, that was definitely information people needed. Yeah, I, I hope so. And like, uh, you can check out the raw milk episode on rotten. They kind of get into it there, but like, if you watch Farmageddon, Food Inc., uh, read some of the books that Joel produced, like they each touch on a sliver of the picture. They're each painting like an eighth. And when you get all eight pieces and you really get to see the picture, it becomes clear of, you know, this is too far. This is too far. Not everything can be mechanized and industrialized. And Monsanto, especially Monsanto, I mean, they're essentially playing God. They're rewriting DNA yep. of plants leading to, uh, you know, what they consider a better way to farm. And uh, it's not. It's, it's leading to uh, mutant crops. And it's leading to super bacteria that are, that are very dangerous. Um, it's, it's just really bad. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. So... Yeah, I'm gonna look at a lot of that stuff. I'm gonna try to get the the book, the Joel Salton book about uh, the everything I do is illegal. Yeah, you can borrow mine, man. It's my reading list. It's full of sticky notes. Um, you know, one thing in there that I loved, he said something along the lines of the Romans had a saying: the less laws, the more efficient the government. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. That's a, there's a lot of truth in that, and it's uh, oh yeah, man. We've created a monster. We really have. Like everyone uh, talks about the Federal Reserve, and I don't discount that the Federal Reserve. Uh, I mean, they definitely have their part in this with subsidies and whatnot. But um, I don't discount the the issues that a lot of people are talking about. But this is one of the basic fundamentals of all life is nutrient consumption and the food we're getting is not rich of nutrients the way that it, it, it is supposed to be 
It's a pale uh, product that is injected and artificially inseminated with uh, laboratory-born nutrients. And yeah, you know, if you crown, if you counted all the microbes in soil, and you counted one a second, and didn't stop at all, it would take you over six and a half years to count all the microbes that we don't even, that we can't even identify that come into soil. Uh, like there's so much we don't understand, but we're acting as if we do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's very dangerous. Yeah. I fell fate to this same line of thinking. Like when you get into gardening and you get into agriculture, the first thing you learn, quote unquote, is NPK, nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. It's all about nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. But yet no one talks about soil mm-hmm. being comprised. The three biggest, uh, you know, not elements, but the three biggest items in soil makeup are actually carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen. Actually, they are, they are elements. <laughs> um, it's carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen. Yeah. And if you take care of the carbon, the oxygen, and the hydrogen, the nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus will take care of itself while also building an ecological system over, you know, billions of uh, microbes that we don't understand that help fuel us the way we were designed to be fueled. Um, It's the reason why pastured poultry tastes so good. It's the reason why grass-fed beef and uh, grass-fed dairy is so delicious. It's it's full of so much that big ag and is, is robbing, is robbing us of, um, in the perpetuation mm-hmm. of the system by lobbying and Monsanto and Cargill, Tyson, Smithfield, like these companies control over 80, 90% of the market. And they have all the money to lobby, support political candidates, uh, perpetuate the system that we're in. And it doesn't matter if, it's unhealthy. It doesn't matter if there's a better way because their way is how they make money and it's all about them making money. I'm not naive enough to think that. Yeah, like I'm with you on that. Change. Yeah, I, I'm not naive enough to think like we can change the world, but we have to be the change that we want to see in the world. I do believe that. And Oh, yeah. If, if we don't do it, no one will. All right, man. Well, I'll get this edited and up today, and uh, All right. I'll let you know when it's up. Sounds good. All right. See you, brother. I th- I th- see you, man. Take it easy. Yeah.